Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The lives of Tommy Summerix and Ruth Guthrie became forever linked when they each disappeared from their respective Southeast Summit County communities in June of 1963. Nearly a year later, their stories intertwined yet again, this time in death. May of 1964 began with the discovery of Tommy's remains in a Stark County wood. The month would end with Ruth's bones found on a Portage County farm. The winter had melted into spring and given up its secrets. Neither child was buried. Each had been apparently strangled and left on the surface of the ground beneath a tree. But months of exposure had destroyed potential clues. Even the cause of death wasn't a certainty and decomposition ended any hope for forensic scientists far in the future to rely on the miracle that is DNA. Nearly 60 years later, all that remains is speculation. From a pair of Summit County Sheriff detectives who wonder if a witness in Tommy's case file might have been the one to take his life. And from a troubled sister who can't help but wonder if Ruth's killer lived under her very roof. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and beaconjournal.com, this is Unresolved, a look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Paula Schleiss, co-host of Ohio Mysteries, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as in stories in print and online, are Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith and my podcast co-host Steve Yoder. Now, Unresolved Episode 11, Part 2, Tommy Summericks and Ruth Guthrie. Northeast Ohio, April is an untrustworthy month. People eager to shed their cabin fever are often chased back indoors by sudden drops in temperature, rain showers, even unexpected snowfalls. The month of May is far more reliable, a time when folks head into their backyards or reach for the hiking sticks. On May the 2nd of 1964, the Saner family of Massillon took advantage of a pleasant day to go looking for mushrooms. 
They selected a wooded area of Jackson Township in Stark County, off Mudbrook Road and just west of Jackson High School. 11-year-old Jean Ann Saner, her eyes focused on the ground, saw something odd laying at the base of an 80-foot tulip tree. She drew closer. They were bones. An entire human skeleton laying on open ground. Her father, Joseph Saner, called the police. Investigators spent the rest of the day at the site. Along with the bones, they collected an 18-inch piece of knotted clothesline and what may have been a cloth gag. The clothes with the skeleton almost immediately gave away its identity, but the Stark County coroner waited for dental records before making his official announcement. It was Tommy Summericks, the 15-year-old boy from Green Township in Summit County, who went to buy new shoes in June of 1963 and never made it back. He was found eight miles from home. The cause of death may have been strangulation. The coroner was also pretty confident that whatever happened, Tommy put up one heck of a fight. His pelvis was broke in two places. Authorities believe it likely that Tommy was abducted on his way home 11 months earlier, possibly in the act of hitchhiking, and that he probably died the night he'd been taken. The news was a blow to the Summerick's family, though they had always expected this end to the story. They were thankful to at least have him back for a proper funeral and burial. The family of Ruth Guthrie no doubt saw the news reports and may have wondered if they would ever be able to bring Ruthie home again. The answer would have been yes. On May the 27th, Hayward Booth was looking over his recent purchase in Portage County. He and his wife had bought a 130-acre farm in Palmyra Township the previous August. Booth recalled there was a nasty smell at the back of the property when he'd taken possession of it, but didn't give it much thought. The Booths didn't move into the home until March. Now that the weather had broken, it was their first chance to thoroughly survey their land. Booth was strolling through an orchard, just 50 feet from McClintocksburg Road, when he spied something odd at the base of a hickory tree. Human bones. He called the Portage County Sheriff, and investigators moved in. The skeleton was naked from the waist down, its arms crossed, its hands tied by rope. As with Tommy, the clothes on sight gave away its identity, but the coroner waited to compare dental records. It was Ruth. Talmadge Police Sergeant Dave Williams hurried to the scene. He'd been looking for Ruth since she vanished while walking home from a Talmadge High School fair 11 months earlier. Ruthie, Ruthie, he was overheard saying, long have I searched and then to find you like this. Talmadge Police Department, just about every detective in the past 60 years has cracked open Ruth Guthrie's case file. There, they learn the story of a childhood that was tragic long before that desperate day in 1963. Ruth was the baby of four siblings, 
born to Edna and Willis Guthrie. Her two brothers and sister were already out of the house when she reached the age of 12, so she lived alone with her parents on Howe Road. Willis was unemployed, and the family's extreme poverty was evident in Ruth's worn hand-me-downs. Her teacher at Overdale Elementary, Mrs. McFarland, told investigators Ruth often made up stories about her life to hide the true dysfunction at home. Willis Guthrie was a stern man with a hair-trigger temper who, according to one of his children, often beat his wife, once causing her to miscarry. Edna Guthrie was a fragile woman who had been hospitalized more than once after suffering mental breakdowns. Ruth's oldest brother, Jerry, was in jail, serving a life sentence for the murder of a married woman he'd been having an affair with. Her older brother, Charles, moved out of the house while he was still a teenager. And Ruth had grown up without her older sister. Years earlier, that sister, while still an adolescent, had taken a bus ride into downtown Akron, walked into the police department, and accused her father of sexually abusing her. No charges were ever filed, but she never went back home and ended up with a foster family. The Guthrie sisters only knew each other from the brief times they spent together in their mother's company. Here's the older sister talking about Ruth. She was quiet, shy, to herself, and... Didn't talk much. She was a pretty little girl. She was shy with me. We talked, but we talked about superficial things, like how do you do your hair? What does she like to wear? You know, stuff like that. Nothing really in-depth. She never... I And I don't think she ever talked with my mom about things like that either. Ruth's sister spoke with us, but asked not to be named for privacy concerns, She's 76 now. In 1963, she was 17, married, and pregnant. She remembers officers showing up at her apartment, asking where Ruth was, and searching the rooms in the small unit. But the sister hadn't seen Ruthie. She'd lost all touch with her family by then. The sister reconnected with her mom when Ruthie went missing. She was trying very hard to hold it together because she had already had many mental breakdowns. And she did pretty good trying to hold it together. And she was convinced that they'll find her, she'll be fine, she'll be fine. They'll find her, they'll find her. But Edna Guthrie was anything but fine. In May of 64, after Ruth's remains were found, Edna stopped trying to hold it all together. She was institutionalized and underwent shock treatments. The finding of Ruth's remains was also a defining moment for her sister because that's when the sister decided she now knew what must have happened. It was the fact that Ruthie was found in Portage County, miles from home. It reminded her of the long drives her father used to take her on and her mind immediately built a theory that drew from her own experiences. She can imagine Willis finding Ruthie on the walk home from the fair that day. 
But if you would have seen him or the car at that time, you never would have seen Ruthie because he would have made her hide, um, passenger side on the floor. Um, I know he did this for a fact. And he loved to go for long drives in the country. And so that's not uh, far-fetched for me. And if Ruthie got brave at the wrong time and said the wrong thing, if she picked the wrong time to stand up, I think he would have killed her. She, all she would have had to do is, no, I'm telling. That's all she would have had to say. Okay. No, and I'm telling. And he wasn't going to be told on a second time. So. Okay. Yeah. I, I, he was a mean, mean person. The sister said it also explains why Ruthie was afraid of the dark. Her own abuse led to her fear of the dark, and even now, her house remains lit up at night. Eventually, there came a time when Edna admitted to her surviving daughter that she also thought Willis had killed Ruthie. The sister guessed it was the late 70s when her mom brought it up. One of the times that we went out to eat and spent the day together. Um, and I mean, I never blamed my mom for anything because I knew who she had to live with and all her mental breakdowns and she was... And you didn't want anything to upset her. So I never tried to go in depth with anything with her. I guess I was surprised that she actually would admit to it. Talmadge detectives, however, are not convinced of this theory. Willis Guthrie passed a polygraph that showed no signs of deception regarding Ruth, according to Talmadge Captain Doug Bohan. Recently, he and Detective Dave Chicola reviewed Ruth's case. They can also tell from the file that original detectives were satisfied with how Willis accounted for his time. He seemed to have a good alibi. They also wondered if Ruth would have called him for a lift if she was truly afraid of him and knew the risk she would be taking being alone in a car with him. Captain Bohan said he can't take the leap that Ruth's sister can. He has to follow the evidence. In closing, do you guys have a theory about what you think happened that day? No. We just have the facts. And I think we've talked about this at length, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. We'll talk at home at night, you know, on the phone and stuff, but because it's an incredibly intriguing case. But, you know, right now I don't think that the facts that we have point to any conclusions that we can make good assumptions on. You know, did she make it home? Maybe. We have no indication of that. Was she picked up on the side of the road? Maybe. We really have no indication of that. We just know the facts. At 5 o'clock on the 12th of June, she was last seen walking home northbound on Vinewood. And the next time she was seen, it was 11 months later. At the Semi County Sheriff's Office, 
Detectives Rob Perkins and Rob Sambady took a thorough look at Tommy Summerix's file. And while they are also hesitant to offer up any theories without evidence, they were willing to point out an interesting find. After Tommy's remains were found, investigators spoke with a man named Thomas Lewis. Apparently, he knew the Summerick's family, was an acquaintance of Tommy's father, John. This Lewis told investigators he'd seen Tommy around the time of his disappearance in an abandoned house on Chrisman Road, near his own home, with a boy named Charles Hall, a teen who had dropped out of Green High School. When asked why he hadn't come forward with that information earlier, he told deputies he didn't know Tommy was missing, so he didn't know to report it. He was sharing his story now because he'd heard about the reward for information. So, Those deputies tried to find Hall, but were told he'd moved to Idaho. They could never quite get an identity on him, and without a birth date or more specific information, there was little hope of them locating someone with such a common name. But here's the thing. That Thomas Lewis, who gave them Charles Hall's name, in the 1980s, he became a registered sex offender. And Lewis's name made an appearance again in 1995 when a man out of the blue called detectives. This guy identified himself only as Dan and said Thomas Lewis killed Tommy. Because he even says in here that um, other persons know that Mr. Lewis committed the murder. He would not divulge the name of the persons and said that he would talk to them if they would be willing to come forward. And apparently they never did. So Thomas Lewis and Charles Hall would be two persons of interest in this case, the detective said. But Thomas Lewis is dead, and Charles Hall is a dead end. Whoever abducted Tommy, some Beatty and Perkins agree with others that it was likely that Tommy was hitchhiking from Noble Shoe Store in Arlington Plaza to his home off Moore Road in Green Township when he was picked up. So I'm guessing he just got a ride from the wrong person. Deputies never figured out who that wrong person was, but it wasn't for lack of trying, Perkins and some Beatty said. It just seemed like they put an awful lot of work into it. There's numerous, numerous names of people working on it. Um... There's, uh, there was probably at least 10 different reports from different officers writing reports on who they interviewed, who they saw, yeah, what they did. They even, they even went back prior to the incident occurring and had gathered up some names just to try to see if they can piece them into the puzzle. And I think it would have been really hard to do this job back then. Could the murders of Tommy Summerick's and Ruth Guthrie be connected? There is no hard evidence of it. But in Talmadge, Captain Bohan and Detective Chocola put together a list of stunning similarities. Tommy and Ruth were both Caucasian and the same height and weight. 
they both disappeared on a Wednesday, one week apart, in June of 1963. They both lived in southeast Summit County, Tommy and Green, Ruth and Talmadge. Both vanished while walking alone, down a street, on a return trip home. Tommy last seen at 7.30 p.m., Ruth last seen at 5 p.m. Both were found 11 months later, in May of 1964. Each had been taken to a neighboring county, Tommy to Stark, Ruth to Portage, and left beneath a tree lying on their back. Both appeared to have been strangled. Tommy's skeleton was found with a knotted clothesline. Ruth's bones were found with her leotards tied into a knot. Both were found with the clothes they had disappeared with. Tommy was missing his wallet. Ruth was missing her purse. And yet, in the 1960s, authorities never coordinated their investigations. In each of their files, there's barely a mention of the other. We're a little surprised. I think we can say that, that they didn't link these two cases, you know? Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that there would be no way, if I, investigating these cases, that I would say you can dismiss the likelihood that they're linked. I I would need more. The facts we know about the two cases, I mean, they're almost mirror, I mean, if you look at them. So what's an investigator to do at this late hour? Is there any hope for solving either of these murders? There isn't DNA evidence to help this time. Without a confession, whoever killed Tommy and Ruth appear to have gotten away with it. But Captain Bohan said he hopes the word is getting out that law enforcement is closing these kinds of cold cases all the time now. We don't quit. We're not going to quit. And if there's evidence, it's going to be tested. And I think you can look around the country right now and see how all this DNA has changed everything. Um, So, you know, they might think they got away with it. And, you know, maybe they did. Um, But maybe they didn't yet. And uh, we don't quit. If you have any information that could help solve these cases, Talmadge Detectives can be reached at 330-633-2181. And the Summit County Sheriff tip line is 330-643-2131. That's it for this month's edition of Unresolved, a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and the Akron Beacon Journal. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.